Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progressions, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 33. This week, we're chatting all things music business, management, and radio with our latest guest. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind you all to mind the gap, or more like mind your gap. And I'm not talking about subways. I'm talking about the gap between where you are and where you want to be. In its simplest form, we are basically talking about problem solving. You were taught problem solving in various forms for most of your education, and you do it all the time without even thinking. If you're using a hose and the water stops coming out, you look back for a kink. If you're cooking dinner and you need to start boiling the water and preheating the oven at specific times, you do it. And if you're stuck in traffic on the freeway, you decide which side streets to take so you can still make your meeting. Yes, these are super basic and laughable examples, but you do stuff like this every day. You solve basic problems at ease by thinking about what the current state is, what the desired result is, and what needs to change to make that happen. So I'm going to out myself here because I find it best to use your own experience to lay out an example. For years, I never took this basic problem-solving approach to close the gaps in my career. Even though problem-solving was something that was second nature in the studio, I never applied the concept to myself. Maybe you're a better person than I am, and you don't have this problem. But unfortunately, I don't think many people use the skill of problem solving to change their career trajectories. So let's break it down. What's the first step? The first step is to determine what your desired outcome or goal is. Where do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? Next, you'll identify the problem, which is the gap between where you are currently and your desired outcome or state. Then we need to analyze that problem, find the root cause, and finally, the solution. But here's the twist. Because you know these opens have a twist about midway through, and here we are. When you analyze this gap, you need to be honest with yourself. And why do I say that? Because the only person that can close this gap is you. You are the only person that can take action and make change. Nobody else. It's likely that you might blame the gap on someone or something, but ultimately, it's on you. And I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm just trying to reiterate that people that take control of their path will make progress, and those that sit waiting for the result to move closer to them will not. So do you need more clients? Well, then you need a bigger network, and you are the one that has to get out there and connect with people. Are you maybe not getting gigs at auditions because you, quote, can't sing? You are the one that's responsible for that. You can choose to learn to sing and close that gap. Are people not hearing your music? What have you done to get it out there? Have you sent it to every blog that might like it? Have you watched marketing videos on YouTube? Your future listeners are not going to close this gap for you. You have to do the work to put your music in places where people will have the opportunity to discover it. So what we're really ranting about in this intro is that you are as much the gap as you are the solution. The only person that can truly make change in your life or your career is, well, you. A few years ago, when I was working on shifting a few of my mindsets and overcoming some challenges in my career, it became a habit to write out what my gaps were between what I was trying to achieve and where I was. And when you look at it in writing and you see that for a couple weeks, the gap has been various versions of the same thing, it really hits home that only you can make a change. I could see that there was something I was avoiding doing for whatever reason. And until I took action and changed that thing, I would not be closing that gap. It's a sobering reality to check yourself that way. And it's also quite a kick in the pants when you realize it. There's uh, one quote from Warren Buffett that I really think fits here. According to Warren, 
there is one investment that supersedes all others. Invest in yourself. Address whatever you feel your weaknesses are and do it now. That's ultimately what will close your gap. If you're willing to accept the fact that the gap is you, only then can you identify how you need to grow or what you need to learn to close it. On the other hand, if you are never willing to accept responsibility for the gap, then you'll for sure never conquer it. So I encourage you to take a look at where you want to be and empowered by the idea that you don't need help or permission from anyone else because only you are the one that can close that gap. Identify what you can do next to grow into the person that closes it. Maybe you need to conquer a fear. Maybe practice a skill. Maybe get educated on a new concept. Whatever. Just remember that moving yourself forward is solely your responsibility and no one else's. So, mind your gap. Today's guest, Kavi Halamain, has worked through various areas of the music business. Kavi is currently working in music programming as an executive vice president and general manager at iHeartRadio. The first break in his career led him to positions in digital marketing, product development, and strategy for Interscope Records. After that, he moved on to work directly with artists and content creators as VP of Marketing for the Collective Digital Studio, and then as EVP and Head of Digital for the Collective. So you know I love a good business chat, so welcome to the show, Kavi Halamain. Hey, Kavi. Hey, Travis. What's going on, brother? Good to see you, man. Or hear you? I don't know. Hear I know. You and see you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a weird world, but we haven't seen each other in like, gotta be like 15 years. We, we chatted a couple weeks ago. It's been a minute, man. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Berkeley days? I think it was maybe. It had to. Yeah. It had to be Berkeley days. But you were in LA for a while, right? I was in LA for a good decade there. Yeah. Okay. And then, so now you're in New York though. It was, that was, that decade was like the blur of my life. Like the big, (laughs) like the quickest 10 years that I've ever experienced by far. So (laughs) faster Um, than the last year. Yes, I am in the in the uh, urban jungle here in uh, New York. I, I live in Brooklyn now, and uh, nice. everything that comes along with that, it's great. I love it. Amazing. I, yeah. I, I haven't been to New York in, in a couple of years. I love that city. It's so much fun. It's been less fun this year, let's just say that, or, or last, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, for the last 14 months, but I still love the city. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a great place. So I remember we know each other because you were studying engineering, but I think you were also mm-hmm. doing business, right? I was, and obviously yeah. you ended up in business. Well, uh, I, I guess it just depends on how you look at it, but that is true. I, I was doing a what did they call it? Double major, I guess. Dual major. I think that's the college um, word for it. Yeah, college word for it. <laughs> dual major in uh, you know in the production and engineering, which is where we met, and then also in there in the business slash management program at uh, Berkeley College of Music. Yeah. Cool. And so then when you, uh, when you left, did you go straight to LA? I think I took like, you know, a month or two or whatever that summer back at home with, you know, the fam and everything. But, but after that, I, I, um, I bought my brothers, uh, my brothers, he's a couple years younger than me. He was, he was going off to college and stuff like that already at this point. And, uh, I bought his, like, I don't even remember what year it was, maybe like a 2000 Nissan Maxima or something. And I, I snagged that car from him and I packed it up and I drove cross country to, to LA alone. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. Everybody should do the cross country. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would do it alone again, but <laughs> to do it like one time that way alone when you're like, I mean, I was 22 years old or something. So I just looking back on it, I was like, just had no clue what I was doing, you know? And so. we're talking about like the era of maps. Because you you, oh, you yeah, drove across yeah, when I yeah. did. It's like you had to pull the map out and like. Well, I did it. have one of those. Uh, I did have one of those Garmin GPS units that you plug into like the cigarette lighter or whatever oh, at the time, yeah. and it was it was still kind of early days for those. But uh, I had it as like a backup plan. But I just literally f- printed out directions on like MapQuest, and I pretty much followed those the whole way. <laughs> So, <laughs> talk about web- websites that don't exist anymore. Yeah. MapQuest. I yeah, wonder if it yeah. does actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, after when we're done, I'm going to mapquest.com and I'll see what pops up. I don't up. even know if that exists anymore, but yeah, <laughs> uh, seriously. That, so, uh, was your goal then, um, to do studio stuff or was it to do manager business? Yeah, I think when I was driving to LA alone, contemplating my future, um, (laughs) I saw it a little bit, probably I saw myself more on the studio side of the business at that time in my life. 
you know, I also had like a serious girlfriend at the time. She was moving out there. We, we like moved in together. So there was like, there was a lot of factors, but, and, you know, she was in the music creative, you know, on the creative side of music as well at the time. So I, I kind of had more of that in mind for myself, I guess. I did do both of the degrees at Berkeley and, you know, I felt like I got value from both as far as, uh, and I, from an education standpoint. Definitely. But at the end of the day, like, you know, you create your own experience and education and expertise in this industry. Like they don't teach you how to make a living. You know, they teach you, they give you the tools, but there's no roadmap for making a living in the music business. That is true. And, you know, maybe there's more of a, I don't know. I think it probably is different today because the just the state of the industry is just is, is so different than it was because that was what? What year was that? That was... 2005 six 2006 something like that yeah. yeah um so you know the the industry was still you know the cd sales were still a thing itunes downloads were the thing that was gonna that was gonna make cds not a thing or but they lived kind of in this healthy balance between each other at the time and you know streaming music was not on the radar at all uh, you know, I think Napster was still the illegal website or whatever. Uh, I don't even like, I never heard of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, so things were, you know, all over the place a little bit and evolving and, and, uh, on its way to, you know, uh, turning into something driven, heavily driven by, you know, online, digital marketing, social media, and then ultimately streaming. Right. Yeah, but uh, I did see myself more on the creative side. I, I tried to go after any kind of runner gig I could get, or you know, any like pretty much anything that you know looked even remotely interesting or related to my field. I kind of like would put in a call or shoot an email or just you know just try to. I just tried to work whatever angles I could work, and you know that was hit or miss. I gotta say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, the entry level studio job is there's not a lot of it's ruthless. It's, it is really tough, isn't it? you know, it, yeah. it's, it's like you're so easily replaceable at that point that you have yeah. to be so committed to what you want to do that, you know, even if you land one of those gigs in one of the main studios, you still have to keep it. You know, I did that. I did that at a studio in Boston while we were while we were there, too. And I think I was putting up with that a little bit more because I was like, I'm a student. I haven't even graduated yet. Yeah. And, you know, this is all good for me. Like, this is all good experience. But. After college, once I started doing it in LA and I started getting that kind of experience, like I just felt, I felt burnt out and underappreciated, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it definitely, it can definitely happen. I wanted to jump back. You said that you got value from both of those degrees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wanted to talk about that for a second because I totally agree. I, I just did, I was only an engineering production major, but right. I've spent a lot of time like learning about publishing, learning about business, yeah. learning how to read a contract. And it's like, I feel like kids have to, they have to know enough or they're just going to hurt themselves. Do you, you agree? Totally. Um, sure. There are full-time jobs in this business. There are, you know, I guess office jobs or whatever, where you, you know, uh, things are kind of self-contained, but I would say, you know, 50% or more, people earning a living in the music business have to figure out how to run a business, their own business. Yeah. Okay. So having that education, even before being presented with the challenge of that, I found very useful. And just having it, having the bug in your ear about it, I found very useful, like taxes, <laughs> you know, and things <laughs> like that. It just, just, you know, having that core business accounting, taxation, contract, you know, uh, negotiation and, and, um, just the importance of all of that yeah. ingrained into my head from an early point, uh, I found extremely valuable. And then on the flip side, when it comes to the studio side of the education that I received there, the aspect of just being put into the environment at Berkeley and needing to collaborate you know, just to turn in your projects or whatever you're responsible for as a student helps you get your feet wet from uh, from like a building relationships, networking oh, yeah. standpoint, which is what this whole business is really built upon. Yeah. Is that. So you know, I have never thought about that. 
But yeah, the yeah. stuff that we had to do, you had to go like meet a band. Right. I mean, I guess when I was a kid, I just did it. But yeah, it was probably yeah. clearly designed to like ingrain networking into you. Because totally. It, it's, it like, so um, it's like a super isolated version of being in LA and trying to cut your teeth in the music business, but in like this little corner of Back Bay, you know, Boston. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so snow covered yeah exactly but yeah, yeah yeah i just i always try to like whenever some business jargon comes up i always just try to push it on on my listeners to like just learn learn the terms understand the words like you don't have to totally. like be able to write your own contract but to understand what you're looking at and whether it's right. a good idea is just so important and nobody i mean people hate to do it it's not like you know making music is is fun and people think that business stuff is not fun but i, I kind of like business stuff yeah, me too, man. I, there, there's there's uh, there's fun to be had in in all areas of the industry. I yeah. feel, yeah, you know, but, and and that's kind of prevalent in my background because I've kind of, you know, I've kind of gone from like one little area to another area to another area to another area over the years, and have gotten to see a lot of the different sides, I guess, of the of the business. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've done a lot of really cool stuff. I want to I want to start touching on some of it, but the one thing I wanted to ask you since we we were talking about you uh-huh. know, 2008 and iTunes and stuff like that, where you were probably working at Interscope like right when iTunes downloads were about to like fall off a cliff, right? Is that is no, it, no um, earlier than No, that? no, because I, I would say I would say I got out of the the I mean technically Universal Music Group, which owns you know Interscope right. and and you know Geffen A and M and all those sub labels, all those label groups. I think you know by the time I exited, which was 2011, late 2011, that's around where the um, you know the turning point was. A couple, still even a couple years out from that, okay. but it was around that time. Uh, I remember going to a wedding for one of my best friends, Yuri, who was a friend of mine at Berkeley. That's where we met. Yeah. Uh, he lived in the Chicago area. He teaches at, I think, Flashpoint Academy over there. He's like one of the head, he, I think he's like the, the dean of music department or the engin- music engineering department or something oh, like nice. that. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, you should get him on here, yeah. by the way. Yuri, <laughs> um, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, Yuri, heads up. Um, anyway, I flew out to Chicago. This was like August to July, August 2011. Yeah. I was still at Interscope, but I was kind of making moves at that point to, to transition into artist management. That was the same that week when I flew out to his wedding uh, to because I was a groomsman or whatever. That was the first week I signed up for Spotify. Oh yeah, remember you that had to was, get accepted that, or something, right? Yeah, that was yeah. that was uh, that was like the exact same timing that Spotify existed in North America, like for the first time. Okay, so, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. Because I remember sitting in like because uh, I was working for Capital and that's a that's a UMG mm-hmm. company, and I remember sitting yeah. in a presentation where one of the head digital guys had a, he had a chart up on the screen, and it was basically like a cliff. And Those hit, digital guys love their charts. They love their yeah. charts, right? And it was like, here's vinyl, like when the cassette was invented. And then here's the intersection of, of the cassette mm-hmm. when the CD. And then he just like pointed and he's like, and here's where we are on the downside <laughs> of right. iTunes downloads. And I'm just sitting there staring at it. And I was like, oh my God, I think it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Little we, did we know. Yeah. yeah, Spotify has made it, really all the streaming has made it bigger than- All the streamers, yeah, really. Bigger than everything. So yeah. it's crazy. Uh, the the number of changes we've seen. So now that I was wrong about when you were at Interscope, now we have to go back. <laughs> well, so when I first got to Interscope, the first project that I was sort of given the chance to become part of the team was Lady Gaga. And that's a hell of a first project to, yeah. to like sort of be invited to. This was like pre her first single coming out, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, kind of thing. So I got to be part of like the Just Dance team, which was her first single. And then, you know, Poker Face and then, the fame Huge album songs. and all that yeah yeah that's amazing so, so that was like it was 2007 or 8 something like that is when i was putting my foot through the door over there so okay yeah. so for people that don't know because part of the goal of this show is to display you know all the jobs that are out there yeah you're doing digital marketing and strategy for a major label like what's the the summary of what's that look like as a job sure um so <laughs> I think it's probably evolved a lot <laughs> since then, right? But at the time back then, that involved 
sort of the content strategy for the artists on, not all the artists, but the artists that were, you know, quote unquote, on your roster that you could handle, right? Right. Um, so for, to expand on that, the content strategy included the website, you know, meaning like the website for the artist or the band or the group, right? The social media platforms, uh, which at the time was primarily driven by MySpace, believe it or not. You remember yeah. those days, yeah. like MySpace, MySpace had streaming audio. Those MySpace streaming numbers were very important. Yeah. It was more important than YouTube at the time. That's crazy. Because uh, YouTube, like we were just, Universal was like just getting their like, you know, music videos on YouTube strategy going. And then a couple of years later, Vivo happened. And I was there when that happened, when all that went down too. But so, you know, some social media platforms, Facebook was really brand new. I, I, I literally created a lot of the Facebook pages for a lot of those universal artists at the time and Interscope artists at the time, because it was like, oh, you can do a page now on Facebook. It's not just a place where you can sign up and post, you know, your own pictures to your, right. your, your college friends. Like you can, a brand or an artist can sign up for a page and start doing content there. And then you know, Twitter was kind of around the same time. And, you know, I was, I, I remember teaching certain artists how to like tweet from their cell phones, like with text messages, and then you send in a text and like that shows up on Twitter and like it. So, yeah. So there was a, a mix of website content strategy, social media content strategy, email list management and marketing. So like communication to uh, a fan list, in some cases, fan club strategy and management because mm. there were like online fan clubs were a thing back then, still are, but yeah. I think they were more more prominent back then. Uh, that then later also involved to D2C stuff, like how do we create and market products direct to fan or direct to consumer that are exclusive, right? That mm. aren't the download on iTunes or aren't the prepackaged CD at Best Buy, right? Right. That kind of stuff the marketing spend within digital, meaning like advertising, like doing paid media campaigns and stuff like that. Um, again, single releases or album releases. So as a function of the overall marketing budget. So, I mean, that's just a couple things, but there was, you know, a lot to it. And uh, I feel like some of the things I did earlier on, like as a young kid, like I, you know, I learned HTML when I was 13 or 14 years old. I was doing websites Back in the day, like growing up in Jersey, you know, way before that was a thing that you could create. Now you can go to like GoDaddy and make a website in like five minutes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. but there was effort back in the day just to make something presentable. And now all of that, I just considered like a hobby, you know, but it like actually helped me later on in ways I didn't even realize. Amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Okay, so you go through your whole major label run. You've learned everything, social medias and digital. Right, well, even within that run, I transitioned to the marketing department where uh, okay. I also got to be I also got to be involved in like the overall marketing budget for a project, not just digital. Like digital was part of it, but also physical like billboards and you know, and, okay. uh, uh, music video budgets and, you know, all like the whole project basically. And so every label, uh, release project, like, especially from at an album level has different budgets, right? There's an A&R budget, which is the creation of the record. Then there's a marketing budget, which is the release of the record and any promotional aspects associated with that. There's also promo budgets, which is like on the radio front, which is a whole other thing, which ironically is now I'm now I'm on the other side of, of that in, to some degree. Yeah. Or have more experience on the other side of that. But that was pretty cool too, especially I really partic in particularly enjoyed the process of creating packaging for an album, like the photo shoot, the, the, you know, the liner notes, the design aspects, cool. like working with those departments and things like that, you know? So I, I thought all of that was good experience. 
over those years. So is a lot of that packaging stuff, is that in-house art department with like outside yeah. photographers that the band chooses or is it? Well, yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be a, there's a creative department. It's usually that's what it's called, the creative department. Okay. And a project will have a budget and then the artists sometimes will have a preference, you know, usually they're presented with some choices, you know, like depending upon the the budget for the project, obviously certain people are out of budget range and, you know, it's right. Just a matter of like who you can get, who, what's, what's, who's the best, what's the best team you can put together for this budget that the artist is also stoked to have for this project. Yeah. You know, I don't know how it goes these days. It's been, you know, like I said, I left, I left the label world in uh, late 2011 and, and never looked back. So yeah, that's, yeah. yeah a, yeah. and a lot's happened in 10 years. Random question. I, I can imagine, I know the answer to this, but generally Marketing budgets, I'm guessing, probably exceeded A&R budgets a lot of the time, right? Uh, yeah, a lot, often, often just so. Marketing yeah. is just so expensive, just in general. Not that making a record yeah. is cheap, but... Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of things have evolved in both spaces, especially like where the money is being spent and for what reason. Obviously, technology has come a long way on the, the studio front as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you can make records more economically than you used to be able to. Yeah. You know, significant money was being spent on things like music videos and, um, you know, TV advertising, radio advertising, yeah. billboard, outdoor advertising, digital advertising. Like, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of money there in the mix. Well, that's still, sure. like, still the advantage to, if you're an artist and you're considering signing to a major label, that's what you're, you know, giving up your share to. That's is what to you're have getting. a piece of that machine. Exactly. You know, yeah. you could try to piecemeal that out. I there are a ton of really great companies that that do all that stuff independently now. But you're talking right. about spending a lot of money if you're talking like about artist services, in, yeah, various yeah. label services, and and it can get expensive. So, oh, totally. So you you so you transition out of the label world. You're getting into yeah. more artist management. How did that come about? Was that something you wanted to get into? It was kind of like a happy accident, I guess. When I was at Interscope. One of the projects I worked on along the way was All American Rejects, you know, the kind of alt pop band, I guess, because they they had an alt sound, but they had singles that crossed over to Top 40 Radio. Yeah, you know, that yeah. Top 40 would touch All American Rejects for whatever reason that it, they connected, right? Yeah. And um, so they were managed by the collective at the time. So during the process of working with people over at that management company, which were representing all American rejects, I developed a good rapport with certain people over there. And so a couple years later, when I was sort of having some propositions in my head that maybe it's time to like look for the next thing or try something new or just feel challenged, I guess, a little bit more. And I did sort of like the idea of rather than communicating with representatives all the time, getting the chance to actually work directly with the artist in some capacity, which is what you get more so on the management side of the business than you do on the label side of the business. A lot of times on the label side of the business, you're dealing with the management company, yeah. right? Yeah. That was kind of attractive notion for me at the time. You know, that, that comes with its own pros and cons, believe me. But, you know, overall, I really, really did enjoy my time uh, in artist management, working more closely with artists. You know, I had the real pleasure of working with the band Linkin Park for, for many years, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, amazing, amazing team uh, of people around them. And they are all amazing guys themselves. So. Um, that was a great experience. And then, you know, so many other artists, like, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here naming names or whatever, but I got to work with a ton of great artists over the years, uh, working on that side of the business. And it was a great experience. That's cool. Were you, uh, were you doing like day to day stuff or were you kind of working for no. everybody at the collective? Yeah. A little so bit? when I, okay. So when I, when I first made the transition over to that side of the business, I was pretty much involved in the facets of the business that was it was a natural extension of what I was doing at Interscope. Okay. So digital marketing, 
um, creative a little bit, but mainly those kind of things. Yeah. I didn't have to sort of do the day-to-day artist schedule. Like I wasn't the day-to-day like. Okay. You did, so you didn't have to go in down there and work your way up. No, okay. I, I kind of came in at a mid-level position because cool. of my experience at Interscope, right? Right. And the trust I had already built with the people over there from the projects that we had already collaborated on from me being on the label side for some of their clients. So that's kind of where I kicked things off. And, you know, I had my own, I guess, client roster there, similar to how I had the certain releases and projects I was working on at the label side. I had my own. But on on the management side, I guess I would have my own client roster and I would be involved in their their whole business, you know, like that's what it is on the artist side. It's not just we're putting out this album. It's, you know, we're putting out this album. We're doing this tour. We're doing this brand deal with XYZ company We're we're trying to get equity in this tech company or this startup or whatever, you know, so there's a lot more going on on the artist management front. Um, because it's like a 360 degree responsibility set for the business of the artist in most cases. So there was more things to sort of be exposed to and more connections to be made, more networking to be done, more work in general. And, <laughs> you know, and artists don't, it's, it's all about what's going on in their, you know, in their, in their head and their schedule and their, yeah. you know, you're at the whims of the artist in, in some ways. So it's more of a 24 seven job, I would say, than working on the label side or working at a streamer or working in a radio or, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, there's really no close of business in my opinion, if you're working on the artist management side, like, yeah, there's office hours, you know, time where you, you might physically be in the office, but like, there's no close of business, you know? Oh yeah. And you never know your artist is going to be on tour and, and what time zone they're in and, and they, exactly, need a, they yeah. need a thing now and it's the middle of the night. Like, it's going to happen. Happened all the time. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you that. It happened all the time. Do you have any, um, let's say there's an artist out there who's doing pretty well. They can manage their own business. Do you have any advice to somebody that's thinking about looking for a manager or is getting propositioned by managers on like one or two things that you think a really amazing manager has to bring to the table? Well... I got to say that they have to have the relationships. And I know that's a broad term, but <laughs> like you want to know, I mean, this, I'm just trying to put myself in there from the perspective of the artist in right, this case, right. to answer this question. Not necessarily my personal opinion about of a certain type of management style versus another. Cause I've, I've worked with all sorts of different types of managers in the business, you know, okay. and there's some real, like, I guess, type A personality or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like talking about the kind of person that takes the room over when they walk in. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's types like that. There's more subtle type guys or, you know, and whatnot. But I guess my answer about the relationships thing is like, if you're handling all this business stuff for yourself as an artist, then think about what you currently don't have access to. That's what you're looking for in a manager. Like if you're going to cut somebody in on a certain percentage of your entire revenue, what makes that worth it, right? Yeah. That's the most important question for all. So like, so if you can't reach people in radio or you can't reach people in streaming or you can't reach certain brands on your own or whatever, those are the kind of relationships I would be looking for a manager to have or at least be able to tap into on your behalf to, I guess, you know, support you in your effort to increase your... Um, both stature as an artist and your audience, but also literally increase your revenue streams. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not worth it. Really well put. Yeah. If, if somebody's not going to bring something to your team, yeah. then yeah, it seems like such an obvious, uh, you know, bar. It is and it isn't because like a lot of times you would expect, you know, uh, yeah, you want your manager to have like experience and a track record ideally too, but yeah, that comes with having the relationships in the business slash the, you know, and related businesses too. Totally. Yeah. Well, and everybody has their strong points too. It's like, you know, you might be a manager that is amazing at getting licensing done and and getting you syncs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And if you're an artist Mm -hmm. that can get a lot of syncs, pairing up with a manager that's going to get you more syncs is not a good move. Exactly. Right? Like maybe you pair up with an artist that also has that, but is also bringing these two or three other strengths, you know, or, yeah. uh, you know, but ideally that you're looking to fill uh, gaps in your strategy uh, with 
a manager, I would say. And you're also looking for someone, a partner, somebody that you can, I think, feed off of and, you know, help you to remain inspired and engaged and stuff in your career as well, to some degree. Like a manager isn't necessarily a friend. It's a business relationship. But right. a lot of times that relationship goes beyond a business relationship. I know that for a fact with what's happened between me and some of the clients I've worked with and also between, you know, other managers and their clients that I've seen, um, you know, it can, it can get to the level of like a family relationship. And then a lot of times when that parts ways for whatever reason, it could also break up and just as devastatingly as family relationships. Yeah. So part of the business that I think is still, you know, necessary for a lot of artists, but also, nowadays may not be necessary at all because there's a lot more opportunity out there i feel now than there there used to be uh to develop your own relationships right to develop your own connections and to expose your music to people that can find it in ways that didn't exist previously yeah i don't envy the managers out there today in the current space because there's so much competition there's so much noise there's so much um, music coming out there's so many places to consume it and uh, you know it's not the roadmap isn't quite as clear as it used to be there used to be kind of like an outline or a roadmap and I don't know that there is uh, anymore like every every roadmap is custom yeah I think that managers at least in my experience in the last few years, seem to be taking on more and more responsibility. Yeah. Not it's not and it's That's not why like, I say I don't envy it, you know. Yeah, like Yeah, the days were long enough before and now they it's They were and now they're uh, yeah. They're even longer. Yeah. Yeah, because sure. you don't need like you said there's so much access to music and discoverability is so high. Yes. You don't need the label as soon as you did before and now you you need someone to play some of those roles and that's the manager. It's a pivotal part of the ecosystem. I would say for sure. It's like, oh, it's yeah. a very crucial aspect of, of the business. Yeah. So back to you at the collective, mm -hmm. there was a, yeah. there was one part of your time there that I want to chat about. Sure. You were doing something with the digital studio sister yes, company yeah. that revolved around YouTube channels and stuff yes, like that. Yes, what, so they were going kind of head first into embracing YouTube because that's probably yeah. early in YouTube, right? It was pretty early. Yeah. It was pretty, so this is like, you know, this is like, I think, Time frame we're talking about was like 2012, 2013 time frame, right? Yeah. Uh, and at the time, you know, the idea of YouTube being enough of a audience driver and revenue driver was, I think, still being looked at with skeptical eyes. Right. But at the collective, they were pretty forward thinking on it and had started, rep quote unquote, representing YouTube creators, right? Like some of the bigger ones in the space at the time. That was working out so well to the point where they, you know, were like, okay, well, let's aggregate all this stuff together and create our own network. That was like the beginning days of, of the YouTube multi-channel network or MCN, which is now like sh a shorthand term that people understand, but it was pretty early back then. And, um, they kind of looked at me to sort of apply the things that I was doing on the music side with artists and bands and stuff and apply it strategically and, you know, logistically to the YouTube talent and stuff on the roster. So that's, so I, so I got to branch into that a little bit and uh, work with some clients and kind of figure out that space a little bit more than I had previously. So it was, it was interesting. Looking back on it, I definitely feel like it was like a career detour or something. Like it was a little detour <laughs> I went on and then I got, and then I, you know, I, and I got my, I got out of it what I got out of it. And then I kind of gravitated back to like the music stuff, which is my bread and butter uh, relatively quickly, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> but everybody's gotta, they gotta have their little detours. Yeah. You get something, take something away from it. Did you, uh, yeah. did you find that the stuff you were doing with music translated pretty well or was there a bit of a learning curve where you were like ah damn it i can't believe that doesn't work here and it did over here yeah i think there was a, definitely a little bit of a learning curve because i just didn't you know it wasn't where i was like used to uh it playing as, as far as a playing field like yeah, right, video, right. video content non-music content primarily like you know comedic content or yeah. informational content or educational content or the types of content kind of you know ran the gamut 
So, so I in some in some lanes I felt way more comfortable than I did in others, and it was definitely kind of learning on the fly experience. But it was um, it was definitely a good experience. I, I think it I think it kind of translated a little bit later on when I went into the radio side and I had to work with radio talent. You know, like it's another sort of gray area where it's like this isn't music, but this is you know th- these aren't artists, but these are people who are on the airwaves right. creating content uh, or commenting on music in, in many cases or commenting on politics or commenting on sports or commenting on whatever, you whatever. know, yeah. pop culture. So, uh, so in that case, I, I do think it was a, it was quite a useful experience for me for sure. That's cool. Yeah. The YouTube space, I mean, it just fascinates me because I don't watch a lot of it. I've, I've started, mm-hmm. like, since I started this podcast, I've, I've talked about this before. People are probably going to just cycle through 30 seconds. But um, <laughs> it's like I've, le- I've had to learn so many things about, like, doing this or doing, a, you know, learning Adobe to do my graphics or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, and yeah. it is crazy what YouTube has become. It's just like if you want to find oh, something. Juggernauts. Uh, it's, it is mind-blowing to me. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't into it in the beginning. It seemed like a time waster. It's like, why would I watch this? You know, whatever, you know, I have other things to do. But yeah, now it's like, I almost, I watch it like TV now. No, I watch it like TV. And, and, and frankly, it, 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 you know, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's their like, it's like their first destination for trying to learn how to do something. Totally. Whatever it is, like, it doesn't matter what it is, like what subject we're talking about, just whatever you can think of. There's probably at least one person on there that has put out a video explaining how to do it or what, where to go to learn more about it. Or oh, yeah. this is how you can DIY this or, or that or whatever. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know? It's crazy what it's become. And I know that that yeah. is where so many kids discover music too, which also blows a lot my of mind. people. Like, I would never sit there and listen there. to music and they do. I mean, between TikTok, YouTube, and other platforms that have emerged over the years in the last decade, like since I left the label world. Yeah. That's been such a interesting side of the progression and evolution of the music business. The impact of, you know, like quote unquote Silicon Valley and startups in social and video and just media technologies have really, really evolved, not just music, but any sort of creative space. They've invented creative spaces. It's the thing yeah. that blows my mind is it's you've got people out there uh, who are creating value out of nothing. Like right. these YouTube kids are making so much money, and they they're just giving you information, and you believe that there's value there, and they're getting yeah. their ad revenue, and they're they're putting out good videos. I'm not saying if you're making yeah. money on YouTube, oh, totally, you're putting totally. out good content, but you are you're making money out of nothing. It's impressive. <laughs> it's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I gotta say it's pretty cool. It's great. So okay, so kind of along those lines, let's start to transition to where you are now. Yeah. Obviously, you work for iHeart, which is a juggernaut. You guys have radio, you have digital, you've got yeah. podcasts. Before we get into that, just kind of can we touch on when we were kids, having a radio hit was like the thing. It was like yeah. if you were in a band, you wanted to have a radio hit. Now I feel like I just thought of this because you said TikTok. I feel like every six months there's like a new, there's a new badge of honor. You know, it's like, oh, I went viral on TikTok. Oh, you know, I'm on Clubhouse. I got a thousand followers or just I'm on Clubhouse because I got an invite, whatever. Clubhouse. And I I don't, yeah, let's, I won't even go there. You want to skip, we'll skip that one. Okay. Yeah, we'll skip that one. Yeah, I just, I feel like obviously radio still reaches everyone and it's still having a hit on radio, Mm -hmm. I think is still massive and everybody still wants a radio hit. But do you think anything will ever compare to that? And then, then we can get into radio. Um, will it ever be replaced? I mean, you're I obviously going mean, to be biased. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to speculate on that. I, I will say that I spend the majority of my day listening to music, reviewing music, feeding back on music, both internally and externally, you know, for work purposes. I spend very little time listening to music for pleasure now, which is the total reverse of how, why you ever get into music to begin yeah, with. Totally. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, there's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, I, I love music. And if you ask the little kid Kavi about, you know, you're going to get paid one day to like listen to music for most of the day. Like, are you kidding me? But like, it's really heartwarming to see sometimes an, an artist and I'm not going to name names with artists, but 
when an artist that, you know, has like relative, a relative amount of success in these quote unquote new economies like streaming. Right. Or it just emerges out of nowhere. Like I've seen both happen. And then, you know, they hear their song on the radio for the first time. And even like young artists today, like they completely freak out. They have their oh my God moment that they're being played on the radio. And that still carries a whole lot of weight, not just from the literal, okay, you're reaching a massive audience, but from a milestone standpoint to that artist in their career, it's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. And I don't think I've seen the same level of emotional connection when a, a video goes viral on yeah. TikTok. Or, or somebody gets the last yeah. spot on New Music Friday or some shit. Exactly, right? <laughs> so you're not gonna, you're not getting that same level of emotion or reaction um, from the artist anyway, you know? Like yeah. wh- wh- whether, whether, you know, whether you can say one is more valuable than the other or one exposes the artist more than the other. I mean, that's, that's just all about the specifics. Right, right. What's well, funny, I remember exactly where I was the first time something I mixed was on the radio. Right. And it was just there like this volume knob all the way up. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is it, finally. Because it's, I remember, it is, yeah, exactly. it's huge. Yeah. It, exactly, dude. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that, so, you know, to add, you know, to address your question, like, is anything ever going to top it or e- equate to it? Like, I, I, it, that's hard to say. Like, for me, my, like, my opinion is that um, that radio has evolved, I guess, you know, like yeah. radio has evolved, but it's at the end of the day, it's still something that people put on for comfort. I feel, you know, yeah. like it's, you don't really put on Spotify for comfort. Like, you know, you want to listen to something specific, most likely, like, you know what I mean? Like a specific thing, a specific You're vibe, a specific, yeah. a specific release, even, you know, a specific yeah. song. But like, I think people gravitate towards radio or even radio in a streaming experience, which is what I'm more intimately involved with these right. days. But I think they do it because it's like, there's a level of like companionship associated with it that a straight up iTunes download or a straight up, you know, let me hit play on one stream on one song on, on Apple music or whatever doesn't give you. Well, there's like a, you don't know what's going to come next. I mean, I guess if you're on, if you're online, you might see what like up next, but there's like a, a yeah, surprise maybe, but... excitement factor, you know, you don't know. Exactly. You can't control yeah. it. You're well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big element of it. And then there's also like the human aspect of it. Right. If there's a DJ on the other side, like True. talking to you about what, what's going to play up next or, or what's happening in your local community at that time or, or, you know, the sports score or whatever, you know, yeah. like there's a little bit more of a sense of companionship and human nature to radio than there is to streaming or, well, not streaming. I, I don't want to say streaming because radio exists in a streaming environment all the time and all over the place across many different services and platforms. But I do find that it's, it's the most impactful when there's like human beings involved and when there's actual human beings on the airwaves as well yeah. with so well i guess you know thinking about it listening to you talk the fact that people used to sit around a radio in like the 50s and listen to a talk show and that was like entertainment right and yeah. and something Audio like MySpace dramas. doesn't well, exist anymore now people listen to podcasts in a similar way like yeah Siri, like you know like true crime and, and yeah. things like that but so. yeah it's it's just like it's withstood the test of time and something like you know myspace which was a a big platform for a moment doesn't exist anymore i think shows right. you that that yeah i mean it is it is the big bat in the room yeah and, for and sure it, man and yeah that, so okay so uh radio programming like 101 could you just run down like the short description of well, of what people are listening to is that even possible yeah i mean w- well without <laughs> without getting too in the weeds or without sort of going to places that i shouldn't can't. i guess yeah you know or can't um so there's a lot of different things that a programmer or a program director or a curator, however you want to frame up the position, right, looks at in determining what's going to be on a station or what's going to be on a playlist even to some degree, right? Um, right. Looking, at, looking at it from just a curation angle, not just radio programming. There's... Uh, there's data, okay, and there's a 
I don't even know. Can I, can you curse on this or sure, uh, there's a fuck ton <laughs> of data. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's existing radio data, historical radio data. There's streaming data and information. Some, you know, whatever's publicly available. And in, in some cases, more research related data as well. And what, what I say by research, I mean like, proprietary research and processes that, especially in radio programming, like there's actual listener sessions and stuff and scores and rankings and things like that. Like there's actual, like there's time, money and humans behind that kind of research. So, so that's another data point. There's things like Shazam and stuff where from a data standpoint, you you can look at so there's a multitude of things around data performance traction that you can look at when considering a song for an ad, right? There's also just programming gut, you know, which still is very important. And there are programmers that will take a risk and be the first one to add it. You know what I mean? Or, the, right. or, the, or hey, like that programmer added it was the first one to add it. I trust that programmer. Maybe I should give this a second shot. You know, yeah. maybe I should consider this also. Like they went out on a ledge on this one. Why? Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a balance between all of those things going on. And then also you got to look at your like competition across the street and other, you know, if you're at Spotify, you know, what's Apple Music doing in XYZ, you know? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, there's that angle too. So I feel like there's a mix of all that stuff. And then there's also the back and forth process with the the content providers. And that's a really large term to describe record labels and distribution companies and what they're pitching you, right? Because they're coming at you with a multitude of data, highlights, PR, social yeah. media, you know, reach of this artist. Like, you know, if we give this artist a chance on X, Y, and Z, well, you know, what's the exposure amount on that? You know, like what's the potential exposure for that artist and their audience and how have they developed that? Which is where my career was at 10 years ago. Now I'm looking at it from the other side where it's like, okay, they've done this amount of work to get this artist to this position. And now we're considering it for X, Y, Z opportunity or playlist ad or whatever station ad, you know? Right. So it's, uh, it, it, there's a lot. It, there's a lot going on. I don't even remember what the question was, frankly, because there's because it just it, it just it, it just created so much. Um, I don't know. Um, I, st- I stirred the pot a yeah. little bit there. You, you stirred the there's pot. There's a lot a coming bit. out. Yeah. There's a lot there um, because that's kind of what I live and breathe nowadays for the last you know five years or so. You know, yeah. or six years. Well, I think it's been about five years since I've been doing that kind of stuff uh, at the company. But yeah, uh, you're on the internet streaming side of radio, not yes, the not yeah. the terrestrial side. Correct, correct. Like, uh, is there anything that you're able to share about, you know, what your day's like? Your, yeah, I mean, like I was saying question. earlier, there's, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think there's a lot of reviewing music. There's a lot of reviewing our performance as far as our own programming and how to optimize that. And, you know, I have a programming team that I have to, that, you know, I'm doing a lot of delegation you know, I'm doing I'm doing some some curation myself. Like there's little pet projects and things that I oversee that I still like to get my you know my hands dirty on. Because because at the end of the day, like I geek out about it just like anybody else. Like yeah. you know, it's it's fun to make a playlist. You know, who like that's fun. You know, like so so there's stuff like that, and then there's also like interfacing with other departments to either create or promote opportunities or content that we have. Right. So, so Mark, you know, dealing with the marketing team, dealing with the editorial content team, like, you know, the team like that writes articles and stuff for the websites, uh, the social media team to promote content that we have the, the artist relations team to get more artists into the programs and opportunities that we have. And, um, the sales team to monetize, right? We got to monetize content and create revenue, right? Without revenue, there's no one has jobs. Um, so, you know, so there's a lot of that kind of, I don't know, cross functional, cross departmental, um, type of stuff that I'm involved with. Cause it's like an executive level job, right? right? So, yeah. that's, so, so that kind of comes with the territory. Like you're not just dealing with your little team and your, your guys in a corner, you got to deal with everybody. 
and uh, the guys who report to me can be in the corner and just deal with the stuff that I tell them they need to do, you know, and that's, (laughs) that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the long and short of it, I guess. I mean, I'm also dealing, like I was saying with a lot of people externally, whether it's the streaming guy at, you know, Epic records or the manager of XYZ artist, uh, about, you know, how do we get, you know, how do we get this project some love at iHeart? You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, blah, blah. right, right. Yeah. So yeah. Still get all those. Got to deal with all those. Got to deal with all those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm happy to do so. I mean, it, that's part of the, the like I was saying earlier, the whole relationship building and networking aspect of the music business that still remains as crucial as it ever was. Yeah. And so. well, you never know. You know, never know what song's going to be on the other side of that email too. It might be the. The best song exactly. you've ever told somebody to put on. There's been specific scenarios where, you know, that I've even taken a leap of faith on something. And later on, it becomes something massive. Or later on, it just totally peters out. And you're like, okay, I was wrong on that. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the fun of it, though. That's that the is best the fun part. of it. I've got one more question before sure. my last question. So I guess that's technically sure. two more questions. Two questions. You've tagged so many career opportunities. If there's one thing that you would say to a to a new kid that just graduated whatever college they graduated and they want to do something what's the one piece of information in the digital world that you think they need to know the most oh wow (laughs) that's a big question man um okay well let, let me let me flip it a little bit yeah what's the one thing that you think they don't think they need to know that you think they need to know oh okay that's a good one i i well and I'm just, this is going to sound very like of the moment or topical, but it's because I've been doing a lot of research into it on my own, just because I don't want to fall behind the times. But because if I was going to school now and I was seeing what was happening in the world of blockchain and rights management yeah. and, and, and technology around exploiting rights management and royalty and ongoing royalties as it relates to rights management and, and the implications of blockchain technology to that. Um, I would be learning about it because, you know, I'm trying to learn about it now and I've already had all this experience in the industry. If you're in school right now, you're and learning about it, you're ahead of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's where the future is, you know? Totally. It is. That's where the future is. Like, it's not just a, a you know, a throwaway thing. It's, it, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot riding on it, I feel, in the future. So I, I don't want to like go down a whole path and, and talk about the, you know, and debate about NFTs and things like that. But just as a concept and within that, the specific technologies and cryptocurrencies and things that are involved in it, just learn about it. Do your best to try to, to educate yourself about it so that you're not behind is what I would say. I, yeah. I agree. I, blockchain because is, I could is say, I could say, figure out the streaming services and how to get yourself in there and like, you know, and, and playlisting and things like that. And yeah, that's important. And that's what I do too, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it's not brand new. Like I think if you were at, quote unquote ahead of the eight ball on that, eight years ago, that would have been great, you know, but now you can be ahead of the eight ball on some of these other things, which are, which are kind of in the media conversation, but they're not yet really in the like artist saturation level to the point where everybody has adopted it and everybody is utilizing it and everybody is benefiting from the long-term benefits of it. But I think that it, that is going to happen. So, Oh yeah. Blockchain yeah. is not going anywhere. And the media stuff, if you're following it and it's a lot of repeated information. You know, it is. It's, 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 a lot of re- it's a lot of repeated misinformation, frankly. Yeah, well, they <laughs> you know? know it's a hot topic and it's going to get a click yeah. on their news article, so every, they're going to you know, Everybody wants it. to get their clicks. So. That's, yeah. All right, I, I love that. That's great. I, I yeah. agree one, 100%. Everybody should be Googling blockchain at the end of this. So last question before we go is mm-hmm. uh, what right now, I know you work for a huge company, so this probably might be tricky, but what right now is your current big goal and what's yeah. the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's whatever it is. Whatever oh, man. You can share. <laughs> well, I mean, man, I mean, look, this last year has been very, I don't know, mixed, right? Like a lot of the things that I would normally take for granted about working in the music business are the things I miss the most. Like 
mm. attending a live concert or sitting in the studio with, you know, while a, a session is going on for whatever reason, whether I'm working with the artist or I was just invited or whatever, like just these little things that I, in the past I was like, you know, oftentimes you look at those things and when it's work, it's work, you know, and you have to be on. Right. Yeah. And I feel like many times in the past, there were moments like that where I know, I mean, I can remember things and I appreciate things and I look at them fondly or whatever, but there was probably a lot more I could have done in those situations, you know, like I, to either conversationally or just to, to take those moments in more and, and not be so laser focused on the work aspect of it versus like, you know, the experience. So I don't know. I don't even know if I answered that question, but I guess I don't really have, I mean, to answer the first part, like personal goal or like what's next or whatever. I think I'm still kind of figuring that out for myself. Like I'm at a point where I'm kind of like enjoying what I'm doing. I, I'm enjoying it less because the, the human part of it has been missing except for over zoom or whatever for, for a minute now. And it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty frustrated with that if I'm honest uh, and would, you know, uh, anxiously awaiting to get back to some sort of human element to the business, not on a computer screen. Yeah. So I guess uh, some steps towards that is a, I got, I'm getting vaccinated here, you know, uh, let's, that's number one, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's for, one. that's, that's one. for a lot of reasons, not just for this, you know? Yeah. And then B, I hate, I hope to do more traveling, you know, whether it ends up being 2021 or 2022, I can't say, you know, but, um, but I hope to do more traveling and more, I guess, relationship building or, or um, expanding upon relationships that I already have and better developing those for the future so that, um, so that I don't lose touch, you know, lose, like, it's easy to lose touch. Like, like we were just saying up top, like, we haven't talked in like 10 years or 12, 15 years or whatever it was. And it's not, I mean, that wasn't by any intention on my part, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, but here we are, you know? Yeah. So. That's, you know, I, I, something I've done during this whole pandemic is, is tried to reconnect with people reconnect I haven't talked to in yeah. four or five years. And, you know, it's, it's nice to get, you know, catch up, you know, and maybe yeah, some sure, of those man. people I won't talk to again for another few years, but it's yeah. just nice that you can you can build relationships with people as you go through your career when you run into each other in a coffee shop or you end up on a zoom call you're like dude right. i haven't seen you so long how are you like what's up you, whatever you yeah know, it's, it's it's definitely relationships are really key to this business and key for to sure, just life really you know key to so, pretty much key to any business any, really yeah. this business or, or other businesses like you know like I, I can't really predict what the future holds for the business or even for myself within the business but some point down the line, you know, like I want to be able to take more risks and, um, you know, uh, put myself out there in ways that I haven't before and greater the risk, the greater the reward. Right. Yeah. Without directly saying how that impacts anything in my career, um, I do know that that's a path I want to go down at some point. So that's yeah. cool. Well, you've, you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times that you seem to, you like to be challenged. You seem I do, like the kind yeah. of person that. Yeah. Once I, once I get bored in any particular situation, let's say I find a way to not get bored pretty quick. It, let's just, you know it's what where I mean? Growth comes like, from. Yeah, exactly. That, that is where growth comes from. Yeah. Yeah. This has been great, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you are slammed busy so oh man dude uh thank you for having me man uh i i you know i don't talk about myself that often and that is directly <laughs> related to putting myself out there a little bit more so this is one of my first steps then towards oh, that. there you go it's, we got it so, we you know? check that one off <laughs> yeah so you know and i i really do hope like some student out there whether they're at berkeley or somewhere else listens to this and gets some value out of it that's really why i wanted to do it so i think that you you dropped plenty of gems in there people can pick their favorite I don't know if this applies to you, if there's any contact info or Instagram that you want to share, if not, you know, whatever. Um, sure. Uh, I, I, you, you can follow me on Twitter and I, I, you know, I change my handle so often that I honestly forget 
what my current handle is. I think it's at Darth Kavi. I'm a big Star Wars fan um, and comic books and all sorts of pop culture and stuff. I'm obsessed with all that stuff. Nice. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Darth Kavi. So twitter.com slash Darth Kavi or at Darth Kavi, K-A-V-I. So Darth Kavi. Yep. Cool. Well, before this episode comes out, I'll, I'll double check that you haven't changed it again. And uh, there you go. I'll, I'll or sure on Instagram, I think on Instagram, uh, you can find me at Kavi Dent, like Harvey Dent, like Kavi Dent, Harvey Dent. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. All right, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. This is, this is a good hang, man. We Thanks, have man. To, yeah, uh, definitely. Not let hang. it go a decade again. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll pu- I'll put it on my calendar now. Nine month, nine years, eleven nine years. months. <laughs> no. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, it was good. Good hanging. Good hang, dude, for sure, man. So that's a wrap on episode 33. I cannot believe we're 33 weeks into this adventure. I appreciate all of you for listening. Please continue to share the show with your friends and also consider leaving us a review if you're so inclined. And finally, don't forget to join us at completeproducer.net. The community there has grown so much and there are so many great people to chat with and collaborate with. And on that note, we'll see you next week.